Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here as always with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. And wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if that sounds like something that you want to listen to regularly... Go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Spotify, Apple, rate, review, subscribe, and uh, if you get in on that subscription, you won't miss an episode when we upload. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com, slash A to Z Sports Nashville, and A to Z Sports Nashville.com for everything that Zach writes. And it's been another pretty eventful week for Tennessee sports. Every Everything is turning to football. Finally, it is almost time. We are in August. I believe is this, if I'm thinking correctly, basically exactly a month until Tennessee football. That's exciting. But before we get into that, we'll start with a little bittersweet news. Uh, Austin Pope. And Riley Locklear, two kind of stalwart senior guys for Tennessee football, decided to step away and retire from the game. Both kind of injury related. Um, not well, and I don't even think kind of. I'm not totally sure why I said that. It, they both seem to be injury related. Um, and just guys who just said uh, enough is enough and are stepping away from football. And uh, we're going to talk about that and much more. Zach, what's up? Man, it's almost kind of starting to feel like early football season out there a little bit. It's it's been pretty humid, and it, it, it kind of feels like we're 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 getting close. Uh, kind of got the football fever this week with with camps. Uh, you see oh, the yeah. NFL players reporting. Uh, Tennessee has their first practice on Wednesday. I think Josh Heupel talks to the media tomorrow, along with some assistant coaches and players, and it's starting to ramp up. And you can just kind of feel it in the air right now. It is pretty exciting, and it. this is something that we'll get into a little bit more. Some things are happening with Tennessee football that I'm getting excited about. I really thought that I would be going into the season just kind of like, eh, let's see what happens. And to a certain extent, I definitely am feeling that way. Uh, just hypel in a general sense, his, his brand of football, while exciting, does make me go... Ooh, we're just going to have to see how this goes because it's it's sort of a new style to the SEC. That's one thing. But off the field right now, you got some good things going on, uh, specifically some recruiting commits um, and and just what the culture is looking like that Hypel is creating seems to be exciting too. But before we get to that, let's do quickly mention uh, awesome Pope, Riley Locklear. What did you think of those guys stepping away quickly, Zach? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't too much of a surprise with either one. I mean, we didn't really have a, a sign that this was going to happen necessarily, but, you know, they're both leaving Tennessee, retiring from Tennessee, I guess you should say, because of, you know, injury-related issues. Locklear played four games or started four games at Tennessee. I think he played in like 24 games. Pope missed all of last year with some back issues. He was coming back 
uh, is kind of that super senior uh, extra year of eligibility because of COVID. And he's an interesting guy because he he initially entered the transfer portal in uh, December before Jeremy Pruitt was fired. I, I believe it was before Pruitt was fired. Gave an interview to the Athletic, kind of talked about some of the culture issues that were going on at Tennessee. You know, guys really not wanting it enough. Uh, he he made some some comments there that really stood out. And then he returned to Tennessee after Pruitt was fired before Heupel uh, was hired. I think he returned about a week and a half before Heupel was hired. It's kind of a strange journey he's taken, you know, the past few months. But he was going to play for Tennessee. He was he was going to be, you know, a, a key part of that offense. He's not really a pass-catching tight end. He's more of a blocker, but he's experienced. When he's on the field, he knows where to go. He, he really makes an impact in the run game, pass protection. So Tennessee will certainly miss the depth, um, but you know it's just that's how it goes in football. I think I think the other staff maybe tried to push him a little hard to come back. It, I don't really have. I mean, that's just kind of what I have observed. Possibly, I don't have anything to go on that suggests that that's absolutely what happened. But it kind of seems like, hey, maybe they pushed him to come back a little sooner. Maybe he shouldn't have been playing, and he realized that under the new staff that hey. Yeah, I don't need to do this to my body for an extra year at Tennessee. Yeah, just the more stuff that comes out about Pruitt's time at Tennessee, I I almost feel bad because I can't believe that I, even as cynical as I am and as harsh as I was when things started going wrong with Pruitt, I still got fooled some. Things were, I think things were really bad. For a long time. And I, you know, we're in this particular case, we're certainly speculating and I want to be very clear about that. Um, but still, just things like this, there's this evidence that keeps sort of <laughs> rolling out where how did how did we get fooled, man? I should have known. I really should have known. Like I did an interview with Dude that covers uh, Ole Miss this past week. It's a fun interview. I got I posted on my Twitter if you want to listen to it. Um Guy was really cool, but it was interesting hearing from an Ole Miss fan where he was like, you know, from the, the very beginning, it was pretty clear that Pruitt was a bumbling kind of, like he just didn't have it. And then you heard the stories of behind the scenes, like he was a real tyrant and, you know, people that worked for him really didn't like him. And, you know, now th this stuff happens. Again, total speculation that they maybe were trying to push Pope and now he's realizing he should have been playing anyway. But uh, that that's just something that has slowly been really hitting me, and I almost feel bad that I didn't. How was I not more on top of that? Because with Butch, like with Butch, 2015, the end of 2015, I was like, this guy's a clown. This guy cannot coach. I and he's winning, like he's just barely winning enough to where we're not complaining. But Pru man, Pruitt had me fooled for a minute there, and I'm I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I think, funny you mentioned Butch there. I think Butch was really Pruitt's best friend, even though Butch outperformed Pruitt, you know, based on wins and losses. Yeah. As crazy as that is. The fact that he fo followed Butch and just the, you know, the, the corny slogans, the cliches, we know all about, you know, how Butch Jones interacted with the media and, and all of that. Uh, when Pruitt followed that, he was up there just kind of no nonsense. I mean, I wrote that word a lot 
in the first few months of the Pruitt era. No nonsense. Football guy. Just, you know, leaves all that other stuff behind. And that's what people were looking for. I think that's what fans were looking for after having to listen to the the butchisms and for five seasons of that, where it was just, it was really hard to listen to at times with Butch and Pruitt. He had the Southern accent. He, he, he talked like somebody you could run into at the gas station. And people overlooked it because of that, I think. If he would have followed Fulmer, if he would have followed Lane Kiffin, maybe maybe we have a different reaction early on during the Pruitt era. Maybe. But I, I don't want to go too much into that because we've got some interesting stuff to talk about today and some very positive stuff to talk about today with Tennessee, thankfully. Thank goodness it's about time. Um, but that just was an interesting thing that just kind of hit me with this situation with Pope. And then also with that interview I did earlier this week, just wanted to bring it up quickly. Uh, but let's do get into what happened earlier today. This is later on Monday that we're recording this and uh, on August 2nd. And earlier today, around one o'clock, uh, there was an exciting development for Tennessee football when four-star offensive lineman Addison Nichols committed to Tennessee. It is the highest rated recruit so far to commit to Josh Heupel and his crew. And uh, initially, before we get into kind of the, the the real meat of what we want to talk about with this, what was your initial thought with this uh, commit, Zach? I mean, it's a huge get for, for Tennessee. As you mentioned, he's their highest rated recruit now or commit now. By far, I mean, his uh, 24-7 sports rating is .9556. That's tops in the class. The next highest is four-star quarterback Taven Jackson at .8997. So that's a pretty wide gap there. Uh, Nichols is a guy, four-star guy from Georgia, a number 12 player in the state. It's not like he's the elite echelon of Georgia natives that are going to end up playing at Georgia. But this is a guy that, I mean, he could have played at Georgia. I mean, he, uh, I think he, Florida was right there, uh, had a hat on the table uh, today. So this is a kid that other programs wanted and, you know, Tennessee was able to get him. I think it says a lot about Josh Heupel that he believes in Josh Heupel. He believes in the offense. He probably sees an opportunity to shine at Tennessee where maybe if he goes to Florida, he doesn't get that same opportunity because, let's face it, Florida is a lot more talented than Tennessee right now. And, you know, who wouldn't want to play for Josh Heupel over Dan Mullen, but (laughs) here nor there. Dan was out there again making TikToks. Get off of TikTok, Dan. I'm doing you a Brutal. favor. I'm doing you a fa- I shouldn't do a favor for Florida's coach. Get off of TikTok. I hope that's why Nichols committed to Tennessee over <laughs> Florida. I hope it is. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. So cringy. Uh but right right on the surface, yeah, this is huge. And and I my remember yeah, the number three offensive lineman in America, it looks like according to 247 Sports. And uh, that's that's huge on its face, but to what this really shows to me right now is the power of this NIL stuff already for Tennessee. That's crazy that they're they're this soon into the hypo era, and also this soon into the name image likeness new rules that are, it's kind of a wild west. 
that you have a kid who I, well, unless I have exact quotes here. Yeah, here it is. So this was to Rocky Top Insider. Addison Nichols said of his recruitment, I wasn't honestly too interested in Tennessee with the previous staff. I looked at them just like kind of make my grandparents and my parents happy. I'll be like, all right, I visited Tennessee, blah, blah, blah. But like I said, with Coach Heupel and his staff, they've just done such a great job. And he also brings up the, I felt kind of like I could see myself there the next three or four years. And with the connections that I have made and will make, I feel like I will be set up better for life there than at another school. If that doesn't scream, I'm about to get paid. I don't know what does. I mean, he's basically saying it without saying it. And maybe I'm just over-assuming there. But to me, this is so exciting because it proves my my theory here that this is a massive advantage specifically for Tennessee. This isn't a massive advantage for schools that don't have the resources that Tennessee has. All, all of this is possible because Tennessee has massive donors. Tennessee is in a bigger city than most SEC schools um, with more businesses and more commerce and more money to go around. Tennessee has a bigger fan base than most SEC schools. It's similar to a number of them, to be sure, uh, but bigger than many. And I, this, this is right place, right time. Josh Heupel has taken advantage of this, and I'm so encouraged, so encouraged by that. Yeah, I have no doubt that he's probably seen uh, Cade Mays and Cooper Mays on Instagram. I mean, they, they've already signed some local deals. They're doing autograph sessions. And there cannot be many offensive linemen out there doing autograph sessions. Look, if you, if you go to Alabama as an offensive lineman, there's a good chance, you know, maybe you're looked at in the draft a little more. You're going to win more games. But fans, Alabama fans aren't going to line up at a, at a grocery store to get autographs from an offensive lineman in Alabama. I mean, they're going to go for the wide receiver that's going to be a first-round pick. They're going to go for the quarterback, the the defensive end that's, that's a you know, candidate for defensive player of the year or something. Tennessee right now, you have offensive linemen that are drawing crowds, drawing people. I mean, there's a much bigger opportunity – for that level of player at Tennessee than there is at Alabama or Clemson, I feel like. It's just where they're kind of in this this little place, kind of like you mentioned, where Tennessee's got way more attention on them, but it's also a bit bigger city than most are in. And it's kind of finally, finally working in Tennessee's advantage. That's something I think has worked against Tennessee in past years. People talk about it being a fishbowl in Knoxville, and, and that's true because – Everything's under the microscope. You don't really have – you're not going up against anything else. It's all Tennessee football. Uh, and now the fact that it is all Tennessee football really is attractive to these recruits. Yeah, I, I think it's it's always kind of been a thing with a lot of these SEC schools, but specifically like Alabama and Tennessee – a lot of people always say, well, yeah, of course their fan base is huge. There's nothing else going on in those states. That is super true for Alabama. There is no pro sports. There's no nothing. There's Alabama football and Auburn football, and that's what's there. Tennessee, you have the Titans. You got the Predators. But on the whole, the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies don't really translate to the whole state, I would say. 
um, you know, on the whole, like you don't have the same, like there's no Braves. There's no, no, there's no like the Chicago Bulls, the New York Knicks. There's no like nothing in like that in this state, even the Titans. Yes, it's an NFL team, but that fan base is pretty strictly a Nashville and if it's outside of Nashville, you're me, where you grew up, and in your most formative years of being a sports fan, the Titans were playing for a Super Bowl, you know, and they just ended up capturing me. But in Tennessee, you have, there's just not much else going on. And so Tennessee's fan base is massive and powerful. And that's always been true, but it hasn't mattered that much. You know, if you win, they're going to fill up the stadium, they're going to buy a ton of merch, and that's great. But it has never been more meaningful than right now. Because what it's going to translate into right now is that every Tennessee fan that owns a business is going to want a piece of this action where they go, oh, man, give me one of these players to come and endorse my business. Please come on down. I'll cut them a check. We'll have a good time. We'll put them in an advertisement, put them on a billboard. And there's who knows how many people in this Tennessee fan base that own a business that could do that. And, and like, there's none of that in Starkville, Mississippi. There, it, There's... Like when you talk about Fayetteville, Arkansas, that's everybody will be sponsored by Walmart, maybe <laughs> out there or something. But like Knoxville and and the Tennessee fan base in general just has some real power players and a lot of money to go around. And this is right, like I said, right place, right time for a program that's hurting really bad at the moment. This is an absolute godsend because you're suddenly in the mix for uh, Addison Nichols or Walter Nolan, uh, and and guys like that where you're not getting in with these kids at all. They look at Nick Saban and they go, oh, of course I'm going to go to Alabama, and I'm going to win a national title. But now Tennessee can come along and say, hey, you can come here and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. You might not win a national title, but you're going to be set up for life. And that's got to be exciting for players. And we, we already talked about this. You can go back and listen to the episode where we went more in depth on the NIL stuff, but this is, we just were theoretically talking about it before. Now it is true. Now it is here. This is happening with a kid who is a big time recruit and, and yeah, man, it's exciting. It's really exciting. You know, even, even beyond the NIL, NIL stuff with the money that he can make while he's in college. I wonder if somebody like Addison Nichols sees, just the fan base in general, the way that players can build their brands and extend beyond uh, college football at the next level. Because you see uh, Trey Smith out there with the Kansas City Chiefs right now. And I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter about Trey Smith lately and just the way, you know, that he's been kind of showing out at camp. He's already getting first team reps. Andy Reid's talking about him. Just the amount of hype he's getting, I just wonder, you don't see guys, I don't know, you don't see a lot of guys from Missouri that are going to get that same type of hype. Like Tennessee fans follow their players to the next level. They want to see them succeed. They become fans in a sense of whatever team uh, their favorite players from Tennessee play for. I mean, you got a lot of people, you know, you had lots of Colts fans that turned into Broncos fans following Peyton. I imagine there's lots of people pulling for the Saints on Sundays because of Alvin Kamara. Same thing I think is going to be true of the Chiefs with an offensive lineman like Trey Smith. Like They like him so much that they're going to follow the Chiefs because of an offensive lineman. That doesn't just happen with any program. 
could this genuinely be like the <laughs> the actual start of the decade of the vault like that's it has to be a development like this because in the SEC it is all about the Jimmys and the Joes and Tennessee has not had a way to get to the Jimmys and the Joes like this in years past when in the past few years when you stink you just don't get those guys and if you get a few in and you get that ball rolling, obviously at a certain point you will reach that equilibrium that is there already for like an Alabama and a Clemson where the question becomes like, oh, do I want sponsorship deals or do I want to go be a little more obscure and win a national title at a better school? You do eventually reach that point. <laughs> Tennessee is obviously not there. But could this really be where Tennessee finally finds its footing? I don't think that before this happened, I hadn't really given that a hard thought. The fact that Tennessee would really find an advantage here, and maybe I'm just getting excited over a couple of examples, and then it never, this never really comes to fruition. Obviously, that's a possibility too. But it is the fact that this is happening, and Tennessee still stinks. Tennessee's not good. We don't know. I mean, they might end up being decent this season. I don't know. Uh, we'll just have to see. But Tennessee, this past offseason was, you know, the butt of many jokes and still a, a nightmare. And this is already happening. Like, what does that say about the future and the way that Tennessee is set up in this situation? I think it says a lot and and could be really big. And I think it also says a lot when when you have recruits beyond the NIL stuff saying like I wasn't honestly interested in Tennessee with the previous staff uh coach Heupel and his staff they've d just done such a great job that's super encouraging outside of the NIL stuff because if I, I don't care if Heupel is running the weirdest craziest offense and and whatever if you put the right dudes out there you know, you can have Jeremy Pruitt on staff and win a national championship. Nick Saban did it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, it doesn't matter at a certain point if you put the right dudes out there. And that's that's a very uh, exciting proposition for Tennessee after just having been so lost in the wilderness for all this time now. Maybe this is the thing that does it for Tennessee. And maybe I'm just putting the car before the horse, but. Uh, I guess time will tell. Well, they were really close in 2015. You know, they, they built yeah. a really nice roster 2015, 2016. You know, Butch Jones did that when the program was at a pretty low point in, in 2012 when Derek Dooley was fired. Uh, can Heupel do that same thing? I, I don't see why not. Uh, I know there's been questions about Heupel's recruiting, you know, before he got hired or when he was hired. Well, I think these comments from Addison Nichols show that maybe those concerns were a little overblown. Obviously, Heupel, you know, he's recruited a guy that, that Jeremy Pruitt didn't make much headway with. And by the way, this isn't some system offensive lineman either. Addison Nichols is 6'5", 318 pounds. He's a, he's a big kid that could play for any SEC program. This isn't a Butch Jones offensive lineman that's, that's on the smaller size. Um, I think the key for for Hypo is to finish with around a top 20 recruiting class this year. I think he's around third, number 30 right now after Nichols. Yeah, they're at number 30 in the country. 
if they finish around 20, then you got some decent talent and it kind of starts building from there. You get into that where Butch Jones kind of started building up top 10, top five. And, you know, from there, if you can make it work offensively, if you, if you can deliver on what you delivered at UCF and, and at Missouri offensively, you know, it, that's all Tennessee fans want is just the opportunity to have the talent to take that next step. They were there in 2015. Tennessee fans would love a do-over with those two teams, 2015-2016, with a different coach. So you kind of hope Hypo can get the talent level back to that point, and then we'll see what happens. It All it really takes is the capitalizing when it's there. Mm-hmm. Like that's Tony Vitello did this year with this baseball team. He capitalized with the talent that was there, made it to the College World Series. You just you have to have the right guys in the right place. And so well, it's like it's like LSU in 2019. Is there anybody that thinks Ed Ogeron is Nick Saban out there? Oh, perfect example. Dabo Sweeney? Yeah. I mean, he's not. And we saw last year LSU is still one of the most talented teams in the country. I mean, Ogeron does recruit well. But we saw last year he lost those key players, and they they lost to Mississippi State. You know they they played terrible at times last year. We're seeing more. You know he's regressing to what he actually is as a coach. But LSU had those players in place, and they, you know, they didn't let it pass by. They capitalized on it. They did, and there there are some other things in this uh, in this interview with Addison Nichols. Maybe it's so hard to extrapolate anything before you ever see a coach coach a football game. Um, but just some of this stuff, he, he says, I feel like Coach Heupel and the staff are bringing a culture of success to Tennessee, or at least back to Tennessee. To me, I, I already sort of read this one, but to me, I just felt like the opportunity at Tennessee on and off the field was just secure compared to a bunch of other schools. Along with that, I feel like Coach Heupel and the staff are bringing a Oh, this, oh, they put the same quote twice in this thing. Um, I'm excited to be a part of that success and be a leader in the classroom and on the team. I feel like we could be doing some great things in the next few years at Tennessee. If you, if you can get that kind of buy-in and you can, as you said, if you can put together a top 20 class right now with a coach who can bring a good culture, get kids motivated, get them going in the right direction. A top 20 recruiting class, that's going to put you in the top half of the SEC East. Is it definitely going to get you to an SEC championship game? Probably not. You're probably going to have to put in a little more than that, but you're going to be close. I mean, top 20 recruiting class, that's going to be probably 7th or 8th in the SEC, somewhere around in there. And and you'll you'll be in the top half of the league. You're just not going to be competitive for championships quite yet. And that can just be a springboard. Get to seven, eight wins, springboard into nine, ten wins, and nine, ten wins becomes a playoff appearance. And and that's hey, Tennessee just has to sustain eight to nine wins a year. Exactly. Point. Yes. For like, I mean, what Butch came the closest. He had seven, nine, and nine. Uh, if you can do that for three, four years in a row, you can you can get there. If I, if Butch would have redshirted Dobbs, you know, in, in 2013, who who knows what happens in 2017? 
And who knows how the whole thing turns out. I mean, at some point, we've seen not great coaches hang on at schools for quite a while just because they can maintain eight-ish wins a year. And that's really all they got to do. And then you hope, like you said, it springboards into something from there. But they can't they can't jump to that. They can't skip the eight to nine wins a year. It's not going to happen. If Tennessee had competent administration that wasn't switching ADs, during the at the end of that 2016 season when oh, Bush yeah. lost to Vandy, and you had an AD with some stones who would have gone, "Hey, thanks for your service, Butch. See ya. We're moving on to the next guy because you just lost to Vandy with a team that started five and zero. So we're gonna find somebody else. And if you would, you know, I ugh, that makes me way too angry. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, it is just a I think it's a fascinating conversation. And it, it's just pretty, pretty exhilarating to think about. Like I said earlier in the show, I was coming into the season just really thinking I would feel like, you know, let's get through it, see what happens. That's, that's where we'll be, and then we'll just figure it, figure it out from there. We go 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, Maybe we're cooking with gas. If we go only win four games, meh. But now, if you got four stars, five stars coming in, and you got an exciting base to build on, and you have kids that are really talking about how the culture is so much better, and and they're they think that they're going to be set up for success. Let's. I I am a little more on fire right now after some of these these events lately, and and that's good. I I really because I I was feeling pretty empathetic, especially after. When Tennessee baseball lost in the World Series, and I was like, "Oh boy, all right, let's let's talk about football, I guess." And now I'm kind of like, "Hey, let's talk about football," because there there is some actual good stuff happening here, and it will be time will tell. That is the bottom line at the end of the day. Time will tell. Uh, even if you get these guys in the door, they do have to be coached correctly, and they do have to be put in the right positions to succeed. But uh, it is. If nothing else, uh, encouraging. I would put it that way. I have to uh, read you this tweet because you are right on schedule right now. Perfect. On February 26th, you tweeted, I'm certainly interested to see what Hypo can do, but if I'm being totally honest, (laughs) it'll be extremely tough to actually get me excited about Tennessee football again (laughs) until they finally win some more games. I just can't put that much energy into something that always burns me. And I quoted your tweet and said, this is late February, Charlie, talking. This is not the same as late August, Charlie. And you, you responded, oh. it's true. Tennessee will be going 12-0 and in my mind in the final week of August. This is just the way it is. Right on time, baby. Yes. 12-0. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I will be thinking 12-0. But it is, honestly, this particular change in events doesn't really make me feel all that much more encouraged about this coming season. It makes me encouraged for 2022, for 2023, for 2024, hopefully the foundation that they are setting. This season, I I think, honestly, by like week two, 
man, that Pittsburgh game, this is a whole other mm-hmm. conversation that we need to have in the next few weeks, obviously. But man, that Pittsburgh game in week two, if you drop that and then you, you're only really guaranteed three wins this coming season, that's it's a scary prospect. Um, it, and I think it's going to have a big bearing on, on Josh Heifel's time at Tennessee. But that's an entire other conversation. Uh, although I, yes, I, do I know myself? I do know myself <laughs> when football season comes. You always, you're just, you're going to get excited. It's yeah. football season is exciting. What are you going to do? I think most Tennessee fans are in that part of the flow chart right now that said that this is where you get your hopes up. Yes. You start to believe again. That we in that every August in that same conversation with that, uh, that old miss, uh, reporter, he he was looking at the schedule and he was like, you know, I, I see seven wins on here or something something along those lines. Like he was like, that's not out of out of the it's realm not of out of the question. No, it's not. It genuinely, it's it's but neither not. It's four wins. Exactly. There, there specifically, there is a stretch that is the the Pittsburgh game, then another snoozer. I believe I'm remembering correctly. Tennessee I don't have right Tech, in front of me. I think. Yeah, yeah, another snoozer. Then Florida. That's a loss. But then you have. Think some combination of Missouri, Kentucky, and Ole Miss right in a and row. That's such a weird. You don't. You could I mean, win all three, and you could lose all three. I yeah, like, I would not. Like if I had to bet on those games right now, there's no way. Yeah, because Who knows? I, you don't even know enough about those teams. You don't know enough about mm-hmm. Tennessee. You don't know enough about Missouri, Kentucky. I mean, who knows? They're they're good under Stoops, but they're not. They're still Kentucky to some extent. You know, they they still don't have the talent that the rest of the SEC has. And then Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, God, God only knows what to expect in that game. I mean, that I would that, definitely bet the over. I would bet the over. In that. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, I think we could say with a decent amount of confidence that the the final score is gonna be like fifty seven to fifty two, or yeah. you know, something like. Just a couple of teams with no defense and seemingly, I know Ole Miss for sure with that quarterback has a, a tight offense, but Tennessee should. We'll see. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but um, nonetheless, so with that out of the way, you had mentioned something about Tennessee's schedule or scheduling that you wanted to talk about with what what was that? I And I... We're bringing this up blind, so you're going to get my my fresh reaction to this. Yeah, I thought this was pretty interesting this morning as Andy Staples from The Athletic. Obviously, with Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, and for now that's the only teams joining the SEC. I know there's all kinds of rumors about Clemson and someone about Florida State today being interested. I don't think that's anything more than rumors right now but you know who knows at this point college football is definitely changing there's going to be some major changes but even with texas and oklahoma for now they're not scheduled to join the conference until 2025 now if i had to bet i would bet on it happening sooner than that i imagine i don't know there's a lot of money i wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being expedited Uh, lawyers will be involved obviously but uh, the, the schedule is going to change. I mean, you're going to have 16 teams in the SEC. They will finally be forced to go to a nine-game schedule. Andy Staples kind of reported today that, that that's on the table. Certainly, the expectation is that that's what will happen. Um, one of the main reasons is because people have kind of grown so tired of 
this whole setup with the schedule. You play eight games, you play everyone in your division, one crossover rival, and then you get to play one other team, and that switches. Um, so you don't play SEC West teams that often. Uh, Staples pointed out uh, when Alabama goes to Florida this year, it'll be the first time that Alabama has been in Gainesville in uh, since 2011. That's a long time to, you know, not visit another campus. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I know that a lot of traditions are going to go by the wayside. I, I understand that. But that's still what makes college football great. So he's proposed, and he says it's on the table that it's something that's been talked about. Every SEC team would have three permanent opponents. And you would play those three teams every year no matter what. That would leave 12 other opponents to rotate through. I think that would rotate through every two years. So in theory, taking any neutral site games out of the picture, which I don't think they would, you know, except for like Georgia and Florida, if there's anything else. Every every kid that played four years at a university would visit every SEC campus at least once. And I don't know, I like that setup. For Tennessee, he proposed the three opponents would be Alabama, Florida, and Vanderbilt. Um, for Alabama, I mean, for Auburn, they would play Alabama, obviously, and you'd want to play Georgia because that's a pretty important rivalry. So he put Vanderbilt on their list as well to kind of ease the burden on Auburn. That way you're not playing three stud teams. Now, obviously that would mean Tennessee and Georgia don't play every year anymore, which, you know, that is a rivalry, but it's not Florida. It's not Alabama, but they still play, you know, every couple of years or every two years at the least. So to set up, I think could work, you know, you'd certainly, you'd at least get to see, some of these games you don't get to see that often. Um, you get to see Tennessee go to a place like Baton Rouge more often, or you know, the Grove at Ole Miss more often. I don't know. It's interesting to me. I would be personally absolutely for that setup. Is it perfect? I don't know. What do you consider perfect? I don't think there's a perfect way to do that because you're constrained by twelve games. That just is always kind of going to be what it is. I it's it's actually it's kind of an NFL setup of sorts. You have smaller divisions. You always you know you play each of those teams twice in the NFL because they have more games to work with, uh, and then everything else is just kind of a mix of everybody else. I wouldn't mind that at all. I love the prospect of being able to play some of those other games. I think some of these in conference or uh, in division games get really tired. I don't want to play Missouri anymore. No, I, I don't care. That's that game has no meaning to me at all. Even if it can be in certain years, an easy win, I, uh, you know, whatever, like some games like that, like let's shift that out for some other stuff. And it gives the sec an opportunity for a little more to be a little more equitable. I think obviously you have a team like Auburn and Tennessee that is going to get locked into having to play Alabama every year just because it's it's the thing. It's the tradition, if we must. But, uh, you know, at, at and the end Oddly of the day, enough, in, in his uh, – and I'm not really sure what his feeling on this is, uh, but Alabama's – obviously Auburn and Tennessee, his third opponent for them, he has Mississippi State. Oof. Sucks for Mississippi State. 
Yes. But there's really not a good third opponent to put there because anybody, you know, if you have Georgia, for example, well, obviously they're playing Auburn in Florida. They're not going to want to play Alabama on top of that every single year. I mean, that's kind of the situation Tennessee's in now. And and you really run the risk of, in the future, after Saban leaves, you could really screw over Alabama mm-hmm. if if you make it Tennessee, Auburn, LSU. Tennessee makes it back. Auburn's pretty good already. LSU's pretty good already. And then if all three of those teams are really good at once, which has certainly happened at different times, uh, then Alabama's just stuck with three of the hardest opponents in the league always. Um, you know, th- there's just some stuff like that that you'd have to consider. But I think having so many more games be a mix there, I that's really exciting to me. Yeah, you lose the Georgia game, but it just... It, it's just not like... It's a great tradition. And I, hey, cool. And you're still playing but, them every couple of years. Yeah. That game is still going to happen, and I think it honestly, it makes when it does happen again, makes it a little bit cooler. Gives it a little more meaning. And I I know people are really, really tied to that, and they go, oh, that would be the ruin of college football. I just don't agree, because it will be really cool to get to have, you know, have Texas come to Neyland Stadium. Mm-hmm. It would be really cool. To be able to play like LSU more, to, to Arkansas, well, we Texas A&M, a bunch in the last few Texas years. A&M, so. Te- Texas A&M, yeah, games like that, and cut out, like I said, like cut out Missouri. Well, who's what a snoozer, and some stuff like that. And so I'm, I'm for that. I, <laughs> we have really just trashed Missouri <laughs> over the past couple of weeks. It has been a couple of weeks of just screw Missouri on this podcast. <laughs> this, I mean, they. I just, I will never come down off of this unless something truly changes. They're not good at any sport, and they're just a hanger on in the SEC. You're a, you're a dead weight, Missouri. Get it together. Hey, they gave us uh, uh, Tony Vitello. So. That is true. That yeah. is true. I'll, I will their one thank contribution. Them. I'll thank them for that as they leave, <laughs> as they go out the door. <laughs> and now, and you were saying, I think before we went on air, there's there's some talk now, some. Some blue check mark on Twitter was saying that uh, Florida State and Clemson have now inquired to come into the SEC. Uh, you know, hey, maybe Missouri. Like, hey guys, Missouri don't, takes don't leave us and, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, well, that's a whole other conversation, and we kind of have some stuff that we wanted in with that could really be a, a little bit of a conversation here. But <sighs> more, it, it we already said it in the episodes past. The expansion may be a little painful. It may be a little different initially in give it time give it time it's not going to ruin college football and if it does come back and make fun of me but i really really don't think it will so yeah any but any uh anything else with that that you wanted to bring up that we didn't hit no i mean i i just kind of like what you said that everybody's worried about what it's going to do college football i think something like this would be really exciting i think it's something that could really inject some new life into the SEC. Yeah. SEC is not that it needs new life, but yeah, honestly, the Tennessee Missouri games boring. Arkansas Missouri, that's boring. Yeah. Alabama is winning the SEC West almost every year. LSU and Auburn they they hang around there but it, or Texas A&M, but it's usually Alabama. It's Georgia and Florida pretty much in the SEC East. Right now it's Georgia. 
I mean, they need some parity. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I know we talked about this before, and I've tweeted about it. I don't understand why do you want to watch Tennessee just get thrashed by Georgia every single year. I understand the historical part of the Alabama rivalry. I could also be fine with not seeing that game every single year, but I also understand the the there's people a lot older than me that that, that game means means a lot to everybody. But there's people that it means a lot more to just because of the historical relevance of it. I get it. I'm not going to fight against that. But Georgia, no. What is fun about that? What is fun about it? Not much. Most years, uh, especially not in the last few years. But, um. I'm 100% agree, and we'll we'll finish with like, I guess technically a little more scheduling talk, um, but one brought up by another uh, another Tennessee talk show, Tony Basilio, um, over the weekend he put out a a petition, and if you don't know Tony Tony Basilio, you should great show, great radio show in Knoxville, a long long time radio host around these parts. Um, he put out a petition that is called Ban the UT Bull Ban. And he says, the loyal members of the Tennessee football team and their fan base have suffered enough. And then it has a, ver- a pretty long explanation about how Tennessee fans should strongly fight the university imposing any punishment on itself, specifically a bull ban, over these... NCAA violations. Um, and, and he kind of makes the the argument. He says, here are the reasons we feel so strongly this action should be taken, um, saying this action being signing a petition. Um, the university has already undertook massive self-investigation and dealt decisively with all those involved. NCAA extra benefits rules have now changed dramatically since the association suffered a stinging loss or rebuke by the U.S. Supreme Court. All of that is true. I agree with all of that. Um, and he kind of goes a little bit more into it, but he says enough is enough. Nothing will be gained by depriving the student athletes and fans of striving for a bowl game reward. No matter where or when that bowl game might be played, Ball Nation will support this head coach and players as they work diligently to start to rebuild this great program's tradition. As the great Pat Summit would say to this administration, suck it up, Buttercup. Uh, go Big Orange. And I... I fully, let me say, I fully agree with this. Tennessee now, especially now that the NIL rules have changed, needs to tell the NCAA to go screw itself. The NCAA can go kick rocks. They are powerless. They are impotent. They are meaningless. And soon, when all of this realignment happens, I hope that they are essentially destroyed from the ground up. I, they, they serve no purpose anymore. I, I don't know how many times I can say that over the course of a media career, but I've said it enough. And so I, I completely agree. Well, at the same time, there's not, I've read this a couple of times now. I don't know if he, if, if Basilio has heard, and I didn't listen to his program today. I had stuff to do where he went in depth on this. I don't know if he's heard that this is going to happen. Did you look at any of his tweets I, but I, I could see this is sort of the standard punishment when this stuff comes along. Ole Miss did it with all the Hugh Free stuff. They went, all right, we'll give ourselves a bullpen if we have to. And, you know, it just is kind of the standard, like, whip yourself on the back, 
and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm contrite, and I bow down in front of you, NCAA. This is the standard thing. Um, but I, I, I didn't know if he had actually had like a groundswell, something from in the administration that, oh, they're definitely planning on doing this. I hope not, but it would not surprise me, I would say that. I think the feeling lately has been that maybe Tennessee won't uh, self-impose a bowl ban. Obviously, that could all change, but I think that's kind of been the feeling. But it's it's still up in the air. Nobody knows for sure. This investigation is, I guess, nowhere near ending. They're still just paying out lots of money every month, nearly hundred grand in lawyer fees. Everything Tony Basilio said is absolutely true, and I agree with too. The only problem is, is it's it's been true for a long time, even before this NIL, NIL stuff. It never made sense to punish the people at, that come after you in the program. Uh, when when the whole staff gets fired, you know, kids are kids. You you can punish them individually or whatever the case may be, even though they shouldn't be for all of this. But that's another discussion. It, it's never made sense to punish the program when those people aren't there anymore. Uh, it's just. that's nothing new. So who knows how the NCAA will view that? Um, The thing with the bowl ban, it's almost like negotiating buying a car. You're trying to guess what the NCAA's offer is going to be, and you don't want to offer too much. So you're trying to make them happy and say, well, we'll self-impose this one year bowl ban and we'll take away a couple of scholarships and, and, and a couple of off campus recruiting visits and this or that, you know, they, they make their offer and they self-impose that. Well then, you know, maybe you've punished yourself worse than the NCAA was going to, or maybe it's not enough and they build on top of it. That. It's absurd that that's how this operates. It should not be this way. You shouldn't be trying to please the NCAA by guessing and what you think they're going to do. They should just do what they're going to do. There shouldn't be any self-imposing anything. It's it's a completely ridiculous idea that that's how you have to approach these penalties, that you have to show that you're remorseful in a way and that you can punish yourself up to the NCAA's expectations. It's completely absurd. Now, if I was Tennessee, I would not do anything. Come I- at me with what you're going to come at. And that's what it'll be. And maybe the penalties will be a little harsher because of that. But it's, it doesn't change that this is absurd, that this is how they have to approach it. Go down to Baton Rouge and ask them what their entire strategy was with Will Wade. That's, that's what you do. He's still the basketball coach. And he got caught on tape talking about how he paid a kid. I mean, is this this bad? I don't know. Obviously, we don't really know the details of what happened with Tennessee. Is it literally that obvious? Caught on tape. And he is still the coach at LSU. Tell the NCAA to suck it. I, I hate it anything feel, like this. It does feel like some of Tennessee stuff has been sensationalized a bit at this yeah. point. Because we know... Some things that we've heard, uh, we've heard a lot of things secondhand and, and what went on and what didn't go on. And there's lots of rumors out there. And I'm sure a lot of that stuff's accurate. But the truth is the players that that they uh, that were mentioned before the Texas A&M game were going to be reinstated and able to play. Uh, whatever 
they took or whatever they did, they paid back allegedly, reportedly, they were going to be eligible to play. They're eligible to play at their new schools that they transferred to, and the ones that are still at Tennessee are eligible to play. You know, how big of a deal could this have been? You've got people that were caught up in recruiting that maybe didn't end up at Tennessee. They're eligible where they're going. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense on how this could be as bad as as people have talked about. Obviously, there was rules broken. Tennessee was very sloppy with the way they handled things and the way that they were, were recruiting these kids. We all know it happened everywhere before. Tennessee just didn't hide it as well. I just don't think it can be nearly as bad as some people have made it out to be. I I agree with that. And I in the, the stuff that Basilio says in this petition, and then I, I looked at some that he wrote about it on his blog too. I mean, he is exactly right in that he lays out like Tennessee st- stripped the place clean. I mean, they just, everybody is gone. And the, the, there is even shenanigans around that where it's like, what if we Kevin Steele and all of this, you know, all of that was still, that was too much. And, and like, you know, who knows whose plan that was, if it was Fulmer or whoever came up with that weird idea. Um, well, in a sense, but, it made a little bit of sense because you had somebody that wasn't associated with anything that happened leading the program through this transition. Again, to appease the NCAA, I'm sure. Yes, I think it was. And then they even, my point in that being, they even scrapped that and just, I mean, they flushed out the whole thing. Yeah. Clean break. Yeah, and you you even have uh, Reed Sigmund, who was uh, the sort of number two guy in, in command and all of that. And sort of, he made it through the whole John Curry debacle and he was there with Fulmer and even like, even he's gone and all, you know, that he wasn't at least not publicly fired. He left and it got hired by Oklahoma state, whether that was force or not, honestly, I genuinely don't know. Um, well, a lot, I mean, that's the same thing deal with Philip Fulmer. Do we really think he just decided to <laughs> yeah. go out and have this exactly. goodbye press conference? <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, and so, I mean, it's all of that got cleaned out. And honestly, with that and the turning of the page on the NIL rules, that's enough. That's more than enough. Because the, the NCAA rules were stupid to start with. They never should have been rules anyway. You should have had players able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness for always. That should have always been the way it was. And it wasn't. Because the NCAA is a sham cartel that hoards money made by off the back of 18-year-olds for itself. And I... Ah, yeah, this type of stuff, it, it really gets me fired up. And I, I absolutely agree while also saying, would it surprise me if Tennessee does this? No. Will it piss me off? Yes. And it just is kind of one of those things where it's like, maybe you just, you don't have a, well, you do have a choice. You do. I was going to say, maybe something where you don't have a choice. You're always going to have a a choice. North Carolina had kids caught dead to rights taking fake classes nothing nothing happened will wade caught on tape nothing happened like you don't you're not you're never backed into a corner 
in this situation. It makes I'm incensed with this type of stuff at this point because it you're just delaying the inevitable with this. Just stop complying. Stop complying. I ugh. I I could rant on that all day, and I'm I'm ranting over something that hasn't come to fruition yet. So I'll say that. Well, here's you know what here's this will probably because I I know you're a numbers guy. This will probably really drive you crazy to think about this. I mean, pretty much everything Tennessee did, they could do legally now under the guise of yep endorsements. I mean, they could funnel money to a recruit through a local company. They could do it all now. So none of this would have happened. If this was a year later, none of this would even be happening right now and would be completely legal. And they've spent almost a million dollars on this investigation for something that is legal to do now. That is the most absurd thing to me, this whole this whole ordeal. Yeah. And they still have a lawyer on retainer that they're paying almost six figures a month for what? It's University of Tennessee. That's what. <laughs> That's who why did you pay Kevin Steele nine hundred thousand dollars to do nothing? Why? I mean any. <laughs> There, yeah, it just is. If that ends up happening, it would be another thing in an extremely long line of just unneeded, self-inflicted idiocy that Tennessee brings on itself, and I, that's just kind of the the long and the short of it with that. But we wanted to cover everything. It was, I mean, it was kind of a, a fun week of outside of the the players retiring due to injury. It was a pretty pretty fun little week of news uh, with some interesting topics. I really. Uh, I like this this conversation because it was all at the end of the day. I love ranting about how stupid the NCAA <laughs> is, and then I also like talking about how Tennessee now has a cool recruiting advantage that they didn't have before. Um, but Zach, any anything that we might have left out for the week? I think uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is is what what's your biggest thing you're looking for this first uh, week of fall practice? I have my well, not really the first week. I have my biggest thing in the first couple of weeks of fall practice I'm looking for. But what's the thing you're looking for? Well, I think if I, if I was still a reporter on the ground, it would definitely be the way Hypel conducts the whole thing. Is he still going to be one of these guys that holds everything extremely close to the vest? Or like in a press conference, is he really going to talk about how guys are developing in practice? Is he really going to give any hints about the quarterback? Obviously, the quarterback is like the thing that everybody's going to want to know about who's going to be the starting quarterback. Um, and, and some things like that, but that's, that's really sort of the dorky. I used to be a reporter covering Tennessee full time kind of thing for me. It's always really tough. Cause you never know. I, I did see this is another sort of dorky inside baseball thing. They, they released the first schedule for fall practice today. Uh, and I still get those emails and now they're going to let you take five minutes of video and post that of the practice. It used to only be three. So Josh Heupel, <laughs> it's being what a generous, generous man adding two minutes of video that you can post uh, online. Two minutes of stretching uh, as is what you'll mostly get to see. But I did see there is now and I don't know if this was in there before. I don't remember seeing it. But it said any audio with any cursing is not allowed to be posted. Hmm. That is in the email. I do. I had something like that happen 
because I had some fun videos of Jalen Hurd and getting yeah. cussed at by Butch Jones and stuff early on <laughs> a few times. I had something like that. I think Butch cursed over the intercom. Oh, because he walked around with the microphone all yeah. through practice, which he was to, so he used to shout strange. like a psycho over yes. the over the intercom. Um, and I think he he cursed. And the SI, I think the SID came in and was like, hey, don't put that in any video of Butch saying shit over the intercom or whatever it was. Um, So uh, that's, yeah, that that type of stuff I I always like looking for because it, at the end of the day with all of that, I always really say it when it comes to preseason practices. You just can't glean that much. Unfortunately, Mm-mm. I really, really wish you could. You used to be able to because the media could stay for the full practice. And now it's just these little 15-minute snippets where you don't really get to see much. And they specifically run certain drills. Like Butch always just used to do kickoffs. Mm-hmm. You don't get to Lots see anything. Lots of kickoffs, yes. Ugh, it was so annoying. And... But I, I'm interested to see what Hypel does with that. I'm definitely going to be looking at the videos the guys put out and really see to, try to see if they, if they show anything at all. Um, and, and just kind of go from there. But I think, yeah, number one, who's, who's going to be the quarterback? I want to know. Milton, Bailey, who are we working with, with? With the quarterback thing, I mean, that, that's what I'm most interested. Obviously, the quarterback, that's everything. It's going to be everything in this offense. But I know we're not going to know who the starter is until, you know, right before the Bowling Green game. I'd, I'd yeah. be surprised if we don't know. If we know before, like a week before that, I'd be surprised. What I'm most interested in is how soon does he cut those reps down? Because you cannot go through fall camp giving four guys equal reps. Mm-hmm. How soon does it get to two where you've got two guys getting equal reps? And who are those two guys? And it's, it's- Assume Mowers are going to be left out. Let's yeah. assume that. And just judging um, from judging from spring practice, I think the the kid from Virginia Tech, unless he just takes a turn, right? Uh, I feel like it's going to be down to Bailey and, and Milton, and that's kind of been the conventional knowledge so far. Yeah. I. How yeah. soon does it get there? That's it, what I'm interested to see because it really would confirm. I mean, Hypel has to know that if he does that, the, the reporting is going to be, uh oh, we got you know. It's mm-hmm. looking like we got first team, second team reps with these certain yeah. guys, and there's always going to be that type of reporting. And good, I'm glad <laughs> there are guys there to do that. Uh, but that it's that type of stuff. I mean, that's the type of stuff that I'm talking about. How does Heifel conduct it? Does he literally on days when he would splice up reps? Does he just show stretching, and that's all you get to see? Because <laughs> that there are ways around it. There are if yeah. you want to be that close to the vest and. Maybe he Look does. at how Harrison Bailey's leading these stretches. He's definitely <laughs> number one out there. Just like him. Did you? I'm sure you saw him taking the offensive lineman out to dinner. Oh boy! This past week, yeah. Good for that him. Was, mm-hmm. Good content. Good for us. It is. That is true. That's very. Uh, it's. It reminds me. Stuff like that reminds me of. I remember when, like, used to play basketball in middle school, and you know you'd shoot free throws. And you always, like, when you watch college ball, you would always notice, you know, you shoot the free throw and you make it or you miss it. And then you, like, those guys in college, they would always, like, slap hands with their teammates. Mm -hmm. And you'd be like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be, like, a college player. And you'd shoot the free throw and you'd slap hands with your teammates. But at the end of the day, you're still a middle school player. 
<laughs> and so that it just kind of reminded me of that. It's like, this is a funny thing that NFL players do. Yep. At the end of the day, you're still a God player. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, none, nonetheless, very interesting offseason so far because of all that NIL stuff. And Otherwise, I think that's going to be it for this uh, episode. Great episode. What a really good time. And hopefully we'll have fall practice analysis. We'll have a little talk about is the defense as bad as I think? I want to get deeper into that. That's, you know, there are some players there. Maybe it's better. I want to get into some of that before the season starts. But otherwise, I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan. This is the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. A to Z Sports Nashville.com. At A to Z Sports on Facebook uh, or uh, Instagram, Twitter. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports. Oh, and the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes and Spotify. That's everything. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. See you guys later.